it's that time, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we are moving through our series on the Lord's Prayer. We're now going to examine the third petition, which is, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let us seek our God's help. Almighty Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us together to worship you, to study your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, how you revealed yourself to us through your word. I pray that by your spirit you would illumine your word, open our hearts and minds to receive it with joy and eagerness, and help us as we learn it that we would live it out in our lives. Thank you for what you will do. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so if you would turn your Bibles with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14. So we've learned so far that uh, the three petitions in the Lord's Prayer involve God. The first petition, hallowed be your name, uh, has to do with God's glory. Uh, we are to uh, praise, adore, and worship our Father in heaven. And the second petition, uh, uh, the latter, uh, the next two petitions, uh, the second and the third petition, your kingdom come and your will be done, are the means by which we give our God glory. Uh, and the means by which we worship him, not only in prayer, but in the way that we live our lives. Uh, we learned that the second petition, Your Kingdom Come, uh, involves uh, kingdom life, how we conduct ourselves as citizens of his heavenly kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God began with creation. Uh, it came to fuller uh, fruition with the, uh, with the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it came to fuller fruition with his uh, atoning death, uh, resurrection, and ascension, where he is even this very day, very hour, ruling and reigning over his kingdom. And uh, the kingdom of God continues to grow uh, through the preaching of the gospel, through our discipleship, through evangelism. And what we're doing this very hour is we're living out uh, the kingdom as citizens uh, of his kingdom. And the kingdom of God will be fully consummated at the return of our king, uh, when he will put an end uh, to evil and our fallen nature. He will make all things new, making a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, the petition, your kingdom come, means praying for those who are within the kingdom, discipleship, church life, and praying for those without the kingdom, uh, those who are yet to come to saving faith. So what we do within the kingdom equips us and empowers us to do that uh, work outside of the kingdom to bring many into uh, uh, Christ's fold. We live, uh, live out the second petition through discipleship and evangelism, even as we eagerly wait and pray for the glorious return of our king. So that brings us to our uh, third petition, which is your will be done. Uh, I have a handout, uh, and uh, the handout has four points. I've uh, put them in the, in the form of a question, um, 
each point is a question. The first point is, what is God's will? The second, uh, what is meant by praying, your will be done? The third, uh, we'll see an interplay between uh, God's will and how it plays out within our Christian life, various aspects of our Christian life. Uh, the fourth point is, how do we obey the petition, your will be done? And uh, Lord willing, uh, we may have some time for questions or comments. So let's look at um, the passage, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 11. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Excuse me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in order for us to properly pray, your will be done, or we need to have a biblical understanding of what um, God's will is. Uh, there are three aspects to God's will. The first being uh, his sovereign, efficacious will. The second being his uh, preceptive will, that is his commands. And uh, the third aspect being his uh, disposition or inclination. Now, before we examine uh, God's will, uh, it, it's important that we uh, look at the significance of the pronoun which precedes the word will, that is our, the pronoun our. Now here's a case of, we might think of stating the obvious, but uh, the obvious needs to be stated here for our learning and obedience. And um, the pronoun your refers to God, our Father in heaven. So it is his will that we are concerned uh, with here, not ours. It is his will that must be prayed for, not ours. It is his will that must be done on earth, not ours. It is his will that will be done in heaven for all of eternity, not the will of the angels or not the will of the glorified saints. So he is the king, it is his kingdom, and it is his will that ought to be done within that kingdom. So let's look at the first, um, examine the first aspect of God's will. That is his sovereign, e efficacious will. And this is the will of God that brings to pass whatsoever that he has decreed. And God himself accomplishes this sovereign, sovereign efficacious will effortlessly. Uh, it does not involve you and I in uh, uh, having any say or role in that. He has decreed it to come to pass. Uh, an example of that is physical creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God went on to create uh, all the other aspects of creation, uh, and he did so sovereignly. It was his sovereign will to do so, to create. Uh, Psalm 2, verse 7 says, I will, decree, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So it was God's eternal decree that his elect, you and I, be redeemed from our sins by the atoning son, uh, by the atoning death of his son, Lord Jesus. 
another example, clear example of God's eternal decree, or sovereign will, is uh, found in Ephesians chapter 1. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll look at that together. Ephesians 1, 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The Westminster Confession of, Se of Faith calls this God's uh, eternal decree. And it says, quote, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass end quote so that's god's sovereign will the second aspect of god of god's will is his preceptive will and this has to do with his law and commands so in this sense, God's will involves the precepts or commands that God has given uh, to us, his children, to regulate our behavior, how we ought to live our lives. This aspect of God's will uh, can be violated and is regularly violated by us human beings because of our disobedience to God's laws. An example, a clear example of God's preceptive will is encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it's further uh, um, uh, uh, narrowed down to two commandments. You shall love the Lord with all your heart uh, and with all your might and soul, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The overarching uh, uh, pr perspective or preceptive will of God is surmised in the passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. But he who called you is holy. You also ought to be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So that is God's preceptive will. Uh, the, la the third aspect of God's will is his disposition or inclination. And this has to uh, do with God's uh, uh, will, uh, wanting to do what is pleasing or not doing what is displeasing to him that's tied in with his character uh, turn with me to second peter chapter 3 verse 9 and we'll look at that or you could listen with me second peter chapter 3 verse 9 i'm going to read uh couple of versions. I'm going to read the New King James Version first, and then I'll read the uh, English Standard Version. The New King James Version says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And uh, now the English Standard the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So if it is God's, in, in, in this instance, in this passage, if it is God's sovereign efficacious will that none should perish, then no one would die. None of us would face uh, a physical and eternal death, spiritual death 
but that is not the testimony of scripture. But if it were God's preceptive will in this passage that none should perish, then, then God has commanded you and I that, uh, that we shouldn't perish, but we do so uh, because of our fallen nature. We experience uh, physical and spiritual death. So this is a, uh, a clear attestation to God's uh, disposition or inclination, that aspect of his will. Here, human feelings are attributed to God for our understanding. So we are to know and believe that our God, even though he has uh, ruled whatsoever shall come to pass, he has a disposition, he has an inclination where he does not delight in sending people to their eternal death. He is not sadistic and cruel in that regard. His desire is for our redemption, uh, and that is the very reason why he has sovereignly decreed our salvation. Um, God goes on to say of himself in Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, verse 23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn uh, from his way and live? So that uh, is our first point on what is God's will. Uh, that brings us up to our second point. What is meant by your will be done? And uh, we'll flush that out, or flush that out um, by looking at the context in which this petition is, is commanded uh, of us to, uh, to pray and to live. What is meant by your will be done? So Clearly, it's not referring to God's sovereign will because his sovereign will comes to pass, will come to pass uh, whether we obey it or not. He has decreed it from, uh, from eternity past. And this does not have to do with his inclination or disposition. Rather, it refers to God's preceptive will, that is his commands uh, of us. Uh, within this context, it, uh, God's will, preceptive will, is that you and I pray and we ought to obey uh, his preceptive will by praying. Uh, and the way that uh, this uh, uh, Lord's Prayer is given to us is not just a model of prayer for prayer, but it, al it is also a model by which you and I live our lives. And we live our lives in obedience to God's commands, his rule of law within his kingdom. What is meant by the, um, by the phrase, on earth, as it is in heaven. So there is a discrepancy in the way that uh, God's will, preceptive will, is obeyed here on earth than how it is obeyed uh, in heaven above. Uh, God's laws, his commands, are clearly disobeyed and violated uh, with great, great regularity here on earth. Uh, even we believers, as we're being sanctified, we do sin. And when we repent of our sins, we uh, there is forgiveness, full forgiveness from our God. Uh, but uh, uh, that, that underscores that here on earth that we continue to, to disobey God's laws. Whereas in heaven, there is no sin. We're glorified saints. Uh, we, uh, there are also angels who have uh, not fallen, who are perfect. So God's will is perfectly obeyed. His uh, will is perfectly fulfilled in heaven. Turn with, let's look at uh, uh, Psalm chapter 103, verses 20 and 21. Psalm 
Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. So here, uh, the angels are spoken of that they obey God's will perfectly. They obey that uh, God's will without question and without delay. And in, in Isaiah 6, where, where Isaiah gives, uh, is given this vision from Yahweh, he sees the, the angels, the cherubim, worshiping Almighty God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. Question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? The chief, the answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. R.C. Sproul in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer says, quote, those who are gathered around the presence of God in heaven are doing two things. First, they're glorifying God. It isn't, it, isn't it interesting that the final stage of our sanctification is described in New Testament as glorification? We will be glorified, and our glorification will be unto his glorification. The glorified ones are the ones who glorify God in heaven. Second, the believers now in heaven are enjoying God. The glorification of God in heaven brings unspeakable, eternal, uninterrupted joy. So this is the ultimate end of God's sovereign and perceptive will, namely his glorification, his glory, and our enjoyment in doing so. That brings us to our third point, uh, which will probably take a majority of our time, and that is the uh, interplay between God's sovereign will and his preceptive will. Uh, to, to begin our examination of this, uh, we, we need not venture further than the context itself. So we're going to stay within uh, the context of Matthew chapter 6, and that will inform and, and guide us. So let's uh, go back to the basis of our prayer, our Father in heaven. How does that happen? How do we come to be children of God? How, uh, uh, how do we come to claim God as our Father? And that is his to, through his uh, sovereign, efficacious will. In Ephesians 1.5, we're told he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. John 1.12 and 13 says that when we believe in Christ, we are given the right to become God's children who are born not of the will of man, but of the will of God. So this speaks of God's sovereign decree in our salvation, in our adoption. And uh, let's look at the second petition, your kingdom come. In order for us to pray your kingdom come, we have to be citizens of that kingdom. How are we granted citizenship into God's kingdom? Colossians 1.13 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So it was God's decretive sovereign will to not only adopt us as his sons and daughters, but to make us citizens of his kingdom. And having adopted us and granted us citizenship by his sovereign will, the Father has made known to us his preceptive will, his commands, his law uh, as to how we live our lives. So his preceptive will, his commands, 
regulate our family life as his adopted children. His preceptive will guides us in how we conduct ourselves as citizens in his kingdom. So what is uh, God's preceptive will in this context? Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Let me turn back there. So what is his preceptive will within the the context of Matthew 6? It has to do with personal piety. If you hearken back to lesson one, we looked at how prayer was one of the three things that is spoken of, that is commanded of in our personal piety, practicing our righteousness. You have uh, uh, fasting, uh, charitable giving, and then prayer. And within uh, this context of Matthew, God has commanded us how it is that we ought to practice our righteousness, uh, how we, it is that we ought to live our lives within the, within the kingdom of heaven. He, he first starts out how we ought not to do so. We ought not to do so in a hypocr- hypocritical manner. Uh, we ought to not to pray like unbelievers uh, using vain repetitions. And then he, he outlines how it is that we ought to pray. Uh, he tells us what is his will regarding his prayer, regarding our prayer life. He desires for us to pray. He commands us to pray. And in, his, in prayer, we ought to hallow his name. We ought to revere, adore, and praise him. And in our prayer, he commands uh, us to pray that your kingdom come, that we ought to live our lives as citizens of his kingdom. <coughs> and the, um, uh, one, uh, the, the end goal or the um, uh, one thing that encapsulates uh, how we live out God's preceptive will, how we live out God's uh, commands is, our, is towards our sanctification, becoming holy. Uh, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And that in one passage surmises what uh, uh, praying your will be done uh, ought to look like and how it ought to be lived out in our lives. So there are three areas in which um, the preceptive will of God um, has an interplay with his sovereign will. Uh, The first area I'd like for us to look at is evangelism. Evangelism involves both the sovereign will of God and the preceptive will of God. While God has decreed the salvation of the elect, he has also ordained the means by which the uh, the elect will hear the gospel and come to saving faith. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, take a look at that, says, uh, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So the secret things, the hidden things that are being referred to here uh, involve God's sovereign decorative will. So when it comes to evangelism, we do not know who the elect are. We do not know how many are among that elect, and we do not know when those elect will come to saving faith. They are part of God's hidden will. Whereas, on the other hand, the revealed things, what he has clearly commanded us to obey, uh, specific to evangelism, is one he has called us to evangelize. Uh, 
uh, he has uh, uh, called us to live out our lives in such a way that others will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We're commanded to be the salt and light in the, in the world, in our family life or work life or community life. So there is that interplay between God's uh, sovereign will and his preceptive will in the area of, of evangelism. Uh, uh, turn with me to Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Here we have uh, the Great Commission. One of the pastors I listened to on, on uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, said, there are three planks to evangelism, and they are outlined for us here in this passage, uh, starting in verse 18, actually. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the first plank of evangelism uh, spoken of is uh, making disciples, discipleship. Uh, the second plank here is baptism. And the third, uh, it circles back to the will of God, teaching them to observe observe all that I've commanded you. This is what we're doing in church life today. This is why we gather as people. This is why we do community group. This is why we do uh, various ministries, whether it be within or without the church. We are uh, acting in obedience to God's preceptive will, his commands. Uh, the second area where uh, God's, there's an interplay between God's sovereign will and God's preceptive will is the area of suffering. Uh, suffering. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, if you turn with me there. I think I've actually, I've typed it out here. Uh, Philippians 1, 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So God has sovereignly decreed the trials and afflictions that will come into our lives for our sanctification. That is how he molds and shapes us into the godly men and women that you would, he would have us to be. So what, when it comes to suffering, what is God's preceptive will in suffering? The first is our attitude, and we're commanded to rejoice. In Romans chapter 5, we're told rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Uh, James in his epistle, uh, the first chapter says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Uh, the third area where uh, uh, there's the interplay between God's sovereign will and God's uh, perceptive will is our disobedience. Uh, we will sin and disobey God's precepts and his commands even as we grow into maturity, even as we mature in our faith. And God is sovereign, even in our disobedience of his perceptive will and in the sins that we commit, commit against him. Uh, Moses, he killed a man, and his act of murder led him to flee from Egypt. And there in the wilderness, after 40 years, he had his encounter with God at the burning bush. And the rest is history, as we know. 
Joseph, in response to his brothers for selling him into slavery, said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It was God's sovereign decree that uh, the children of Israel, his old covenant people, be preserved uh, and uh, would spend those 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And God brought that, brought that about even through the disobedience of uh, Joseph's brothers in selling him into slavery. Uh, J.I. Packer says, quote, God can bring good out of the extremes of our own folly. God can restore the years that the locust has eaten. It is said that those who never make mistakes never make anything. Certainly, these men made mistakes, but through their mistakes, God taught them to know his grace and to cleave to him in a way that would never have happened otherwise. Is your trouble a sense of failure? The knowledge of having, having made some ghastly mistake? Go back to God. His restoring grace waits for you. And on the heels of this, uh, I forget, I think the fifth petition is forgive us our sins. And God has commanded us so because we will sin. And there is, uh, repent, there is full forgiveness granted to us when we repent of those sins. That brings us to our fourth point. How do we fulfill the Lord's petition, your will be done? How do we obey his holy law? And um, the first uh, step towards obedience is to recognize our inability to do so and that God has to grant that power that has to empower us to obey his will. St. Augustine said, command what you will and will what you command. So we do so by first coming to God in prayer, saying, uh, you commanded me to obey your will. Help me to do so. I need your help in obeying your will, almighty God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then uh, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And uh, tied in with that is God's holy word. When we pray, God uh, reveals himself, has revealed himself to us through his holy word. And we sanctify ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit by examining, meditating on, and studying God's word. We're told uh, in Romans 12 to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Uh, and how do we do that? We, do not, we cannot do that in and of ourselves, in our own power. We do that when we set our minds, uh, uh, rather to the renewing of our mind, and our minds can only be renewed through God's preceptive will as he's revealed himself through his word. So what do you and I set our minds on? What do we think about as a priority in our lives? What do we meditate on? And it should be God's will, first and foremost. And the more and more we do so, the more and more we will come to pray and live our lives in accordance to his will. We see the example of Christ in this, in how we ought to obey God's will. Christ said um, that when he came into this world, he had come to do God's will. He came to do God's uh, not only fulfill God's sovereign will, but also obey God's commands, all of those commands to the very jot and tittle 
for our imputed righteousness. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And even in his humanity, Christ was willingly submitting himself to, this, uh, to the sovereign decree of God for our salvation. We're told he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So while it was God's sovereign will that Christ fulfilled the law, that is his preceptive will, through his obedience, he obeyed God's preceptive will perfectly for our imputed righteousness. He learned obedience through his sufferings. He was patient under these afflictions. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. John Owen, um, in his, um, I think it's a sermon that he preached on the sufferings of Christ, says this, it is, however, possible to say that the Lord Christ learned obedience when he experienced it in practice in the sense that a person knows the taste of meat by eating it. It may be said of our Savior that he tasted death when he experienced death. One special kind of obedience is intended here, namely a submission to great, hard, and terrible things accompanied by patience and quiet endurance and faith for deliverance from them. This Christ could not have experience of except by suffering the things he had to pass through, ex exercising God's will in them all, God's grace in them all. Thus, Christ learned obedience, end quote. So I'm done early. Uh, I didn't plan for any questions. Uh, I'd like to end with this poem written by John Newton. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, I would welcome them uh, here shortly. This is from uh, John Newton. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he would answer my request but by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all my fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why this, I trembling cried, wilt thou pursue thy warm to die, to death? Tis in this way, the, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek thy all in me." Unquote. I just had a comment. Uh, I was reminded of Psalm 19 uh, and the verses that says that the law of the Lord um, is perfect. Um, I think uh, giving joy, or the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, and the law of the Lord is perfect, uh, reviving the soul. 
it's, it's just amazing that God would give us what he demands and as sinful as we are and as prone to self as we are that we would actually delight in God's law and his precepts it's, it's amazing Amen Alright I have asked uh, Walt to close us in prayer just wait for the mic brother it's coming. sorry <laughs> so I can all hear Appreciate it. Lord, we thank you for this uh, time and listening to your prayer being taught. We thank you for your words and pray that um, it's not just uh, intellectual thought, but something that we would live out throughout our week and meditate on what we learned today. And may you prepare our hearts to worship you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.